everyone, and welcome to GradCast. Uh, you're joining me, Susan Anthony, and my co-host here, Yimin Chen. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. And uh, we are, just going to spout it out there, we are an official SOGS podcast and radio show. SOGS is a Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. And we're here to share a little bit about what Western University graduate students do. And we're hoping you all can... Uh, can see all the great work that goes on here. For instance, today we're going to be talking with uh, Mitch, Mitch Mann, who is in biochemistry. And uh, to some people, including me, the thought of biochemistry still runs a few chills down my spine. But I'm hoping you'll assuage these fears, and I'd love to hear more about what you do. So I just sort of, what in a nutshell, what is it that you do for research here at Western? Right, well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, so I'm a master's student in the lab of Dr. Elke Heinemann, and I'm working with this one protein. It's called the terminal ureteral transferase number one. I just call it TUT1, you know, because it was discovered in the 1920s by uh, British archaeologists in Egypt. <laughs> Wait, that that's not that, actually true. That that's true? a joke. That's a joke. Oh, okay. okay. I'm glad I brought my sarcasm detector today because... <laughs> Yeah. Would not have caught that otherwise. You know, it's the cursed protein. <laughs> <laughs> no, so my protein, what it does is it deals with a molecule called RNA, which is present within all life forms on the planet. Um, so if you don't know what RNA directly is, we can start from the basics. So everybody knows what the shape of DNA looks like, yes? The double helix? The double helix. So it kind of looks like a spiral ladder. Well, now each of those ladder steps, that's what's called a base. And those bases contain all the different genetic information that encodes us as organisms. Now, when we want to go from having all that genetic information to actually making an organism that functions, you know, eats, sleeps, poops, whatever, we need to translate that into proteins and not just something that you take to go to the gym and get jacked. You know, these are the functional units within the cell that are performing a variety of different functions in order to allow the cell to do all of its different processes and allow the organism to survive. But in order to go from the DNA to the proteins, we need an inter intermediate step, and that's called RNA. Now, the RNA contains all the exact same genetic information that the DNA has, but it's just uh, in a slightly different format. Instead of being a double helix, two uh, pieces put together, it's just a single strand. And that single strand is then, through various uh, other proteins, is turned into uh, different proteins for a function within the cell. Right. So, I mean, if we were to sort of conceptualize this with, if we think of proteins as sort of the final product of this process, would it be accurate to think of DNA as sort of the instructions on how to produce the protein and RNA as kind of uh, like the workers that read the instructions and help assemble this final product? Yeah, in a big way, for sure. That and with the other proteins that work with the RNA, mm -hmm. it'll put it all together and make the new proteins that were originally encoded in the DNA. All right, cool. So, uh, what my protein does, TUT1, what it does is it actually interacts with a series of RNAs that um, allow it to basically uh, allow the RNA to survive, so it stops the RNA from being degraded. It's called post-transcriptional modification for anybody who really wants to know, but it's really important because if it doesn't interact with the RNAs in a certain way, they're going to degrade, and the coded messages that they contain are not actually going to be translated into proteins, and thus the cell is not going to be able to function properly. So it's a, it goes from uh, DNA, RNA to protein, and then the protein goes back to the RNA yeah. to help it. 
Exactly. It's not just a simple like one, two, three step flowchart thing. It is. Uh, it goes full circle. Okay. So, so again, if we think of the RNA as the workers in your little uh, sort of cellular factory here, would Tut A is the thing that keeps your workers happy and healthy, like coffee and donuts. <laughs> yeah. In a way, it's one of the many ones. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Keeps everything going. So uh, the RNAs that Tut One works with uh, most specifically is that it. Um, there are RNAs that are involved in the proper breaking up of the different RNA messages. All right, so if you have a gigantic string of RNA, you can't just translate it all into one enormous protein because it's just not going to work. It's going to be a big amalgamated mess, and mm-hmm. it's going to be a disaster. So you need to be able to take those RNAs and cut them up into little pieces in order to make sure that they're more easily manageable and actually being turned into uh, the proteins by the workers. So... Um, one of the big things that one interacts with is a specific RNA. It's called the U6 strand. Now, the U6 strand is really important for uh, allowing for the RNAs to be uh, broken up into individual pieces. If it doesn't exist, or if it's broken and damaged, and then it degrades, there's not going to be any uh, cutting up of the RNAs, and it's going to have this one long spaghetti noodle of information that's not going to be turned into anything good. So without the U6, it's use, the long strand of RNA that comes out is just useless. Absolutely. That's yeah. almost a rhyme. Without the U6, it's useless. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> almost. Yeah, oh. keep working on your poetry. Will do, Susan. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> All yeah, right. So, so Tut1 is uh, integral to helping the U6 RNA function properly. That's correct. right. Yes, yeah. correct. So yeah, without that uh, functionality, uh, you're not going to have a viable cell organism, which is also, which is, you know, not going to be very nice for anybody's day. Um, and it's very critical, of course, to uh, multicellular organisms called eukaryotes. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, so that's us. That's us. Right? Okay. So do, do you, what kind of animals do you study? Is this in this, humans? The, the, or? One that I, the variety that I'm looking at, the tut one that I'm looking at is in humans, but there's also equivalent tut ones in pretty well all eukaryotes. Or sorry, single multicellular organisms. Uh, so anything mammals, reptiles, birds, as well as plants. Oh yeah, wow. Okay, so most living stuff except that those little what, bacteria. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> oh, that's right, okay. and, and they have basically the same function in all these types of cells and all these sorts of organisms. Well, from what we know, yes, more or less. We we're not too sure. There's not a lot known about Tut One. Well, a big paper was released about a month ago that gave some new information, but. Uh, Generally, we don't know too, too much about it in terms of how it interacts with all these different mm-hmm. organisms. We just know that it's most likely there. So Tut1 is, is helping U6. Yes. And U6 itself, what, why does it need help? Okay, so um, when the U6 uh, gets together with a whole bunch of its buddies to cut down uh, the big, long RNA strand, mm-hmm. it has on it uh, these four bases on its end and on the four bases they they're the docking site they so act those like are the <clears throat> ladder bits so these pretty would much. be half ladders pretty much RNA. right okay mm-hmm. exactly so it's or just rungs that's the word i was looking yeah for, right? yeah it'll be like rungs. four half rungs right mm-hmm. but those four half rungs are so important because they uh they're the docking site they let they're basically like the u6's hand being outreached towards the other uh members of this uh machinery 
and they grab onto each other and that's how they're actually able to work together in order to splice it. Mm -hmm. So U6 requires other things together. They all need to hold hands. Pretty much, yeah. It's like a secret handshake. A secret handshake. They all circle around, uh, hold hands, and they they clip this uh, long RNA. But you're saying they have this special, their hands. Right. What's wrong with their hands? <laughs> well, eventually, uh, other you know nastier proteins are going to come on and uh, chop off their hands. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this analogy just got really yeah, dark. <laughs> I, got, I guess so. <laughs> Unfortunately, when you lose the hand, you can't hold on to anything, right? And so, of course, the uh, splicing of the RNA is not going to happen, and you're not going to be able to get that long spaghetti noodle cut into small pieces and turn into individual proteins. So t- one comes along, and you know when it sees a poor handless U6, it comes along, gives it a prosthetic. No, it just gives you, it gives a new hand, wow. gives these new la- rungs onto the ladder, and that allows the U6 to grab onto its friends once again and cut these uh, RNA appropriately. I I know it sounds like a very odd question, but a lot goes on in our cells. We just kind of assume their body is just working like it's supposed to. What are these things that come along and? literally handicap <laughs> our useful proteins. Right. Yeah. Or, no, yeah. RNA. RNA. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, these are nucleases. Now, nucleases are particularly nasty for RNAs because RNAs are kind of like the celebrities of the my, my biological macromolecules. You know, if there's any slight deviation in temperature or the acidity changes, they are just going to fall apart and they'll get very angry at you and they'll make for some very angry scientists. Um, but these nucleases, they come along and they will either cleave the RNA right in the middle of the strand or they'll cleave it at the end and just chew its way all the way through until it's nothing, essentially. So because they're everywhere in the cell, it's very prevalent, it's necessary for proteins like my protein, TUT1, to come along and replace what was taken away by these nasty nucleases. So they're overactive, but also still necessary? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what's the condition in which the nuclease would be useful? Well, getting rid of any um, aberrant RNA. So sometimes when you're going from the DNA, which is the initial step of all the genetic information, to the RNAs, sometimes mistakes will happen. And so the genetic information, most of it might be there in the RNA, but it's been corrupted. Or it's kind of like getting a virus or a corrupted data Mm -hmm. file on your computer. Mm -hmm. So the exonuclease or the nuclease will come along, and it'll chew up that bad strand, so that way it doesn't get turned into a nasty protein that will actually cause a problem in the cell. Oh, that's cool. So cleaning job oh as yeah it were. it's 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 a it's an important thing right but overactive yeah sometimes. so like an eraser that you know sometimes will erase something that Just, you actually need well, yeah when you know you're erasing something that slips right exactly yeah. exactly oh cool so you gotta you gotta keep it under control but they are necessary okay so taiwan is is doing a job and just kind of, oh, I'm, I'm sorry for my buddy. He went a little careless. Uh, let me fix that for you. Yeah. Right. Here's some more hands. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this <laughs> might be a little dated reference, but I, I'm just thinking Edward Scissorhands, you know, <laughs> cutting hands. Uh, anyway, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. It's replacing something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the, it's the Johnny Depp yeah. of the... Uh, so Tut1 one, tut one, tut one is the anti-Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, jeez. Or uh, Tut1 is the, the mad professor who gave... Vincent Price. Who, Vincent Price who gave him new hands. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. There we go. And died before that happened. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. We're going weird zone here. But it's, it's... So that's really cool that there's this whole process that we know about now. I mean, not to 
like perfect extent, but we know why it's there. Yes. We know why Tut One is needed. So where's your place in the story? Okay, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, first of all, just get Tut One on its own. So basically what I do is I've uh, taken the DNA sequence of Tut One, so the decoded information that I need to make the protein itself, and I put that into a bacteria called E. coli. You know, it's not... Okay, what we hear about E. coli is why do you have that? (laughs) (laughs) It's not as... Not inherently as dangerous as everybody thinks, fortunately, you know, or else it's going to be a, a lot more troublesome to use. But you put it into the E. coli, and the E. coli act as factories. So they'll grow and grow and grow and grow until you have, you know, millions and millions and millions of cells more. And they'll all be producing this top one. And then, so what you want to do is you want to take the cells, just put them in a centrifuge to spin them really fast and get a pellet of them. And it's just basically like a paste made of cells. It's pretty gross. It has the consistency of like really thick Greek yogurt or something like that. But you, um, <laughs> it's okay. I don't eat yogurt, so it doesn't bother me. But humans giving a pretty nasty face right now. It's it's green, so don't worry. It's it's oh it green it doesn't, yogurt. Does, it doesn't look like yogurt. Thick and it green just, yogurt. It just feels like yogurt. But how does it taste? <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> no. There was that one real desperate, like, weekend in the lab right now. <laughs> well, they say you're not a true scientist until you've eaten your study organism. Well, when you're working with yeast, it's great. No. <laughs> no, but um, so you take you take this big pellet of cells, it's like a wad, and you need to crush it so you can get the content of the cells out. So you put it into uh, what's called a French press, and it's not like what, what? you're using to make. Not it's not coffee. like what you're using to make coffee. Okay. But it's similar principle. So okay. it's basically like a, this big, long cylindrical tube that's hollow in the middle. You put it in that hollow section, and then the piston goes in, and just the pressure just squashes them, and so you get all the little liquid and all the little cell bits that come out afterwards. Then you take the liquid, and you put it in through this column that purifies out the nasty proteins that you don't want that are just found within the E. coli already, and then you're left with hopefully your tut one, which you put in originally because it's a special protein that has different uh, things that make it sticky to the column itself. Oh, very cool. That's what I was wondering. It's like, well, how do you, do you go in with tiny little scissors and little <laughs> little uh, tweezers and pick out the... Chop off their hands? Yeah, yeah chop off the nails. <laughs> so Johnny essentially, you're, uh, you're, you're putting the instructions to make tut one into the E. coli, and they reproduce and produce a whole bunch of these tut one molecules, and then you just squish them out and filter out the tut one exactly. so you can study it. Exactly. So okay. you have just pure tut one. Well, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. It's not as simple as that, unfortunately. It, it sounds so simple, though. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> because tut one's a human protein, so mm-hmm. it's far more complicated than anything that bacteria like E. coli could ever do on its own. So because of that, when you try to make the protein within E. coli, it's got some difficulties. Usually uh, some of those nasty nucleases come along and they cut my tut one in half. Or sorry, not nucleases, proteases, which is not fun. There's just nucleases that kill proteins instead. Oh, um, that, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm guessing things with A's at the end is a, is a killer? Yeah. Yeah, Got pretty it. much. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the proteases come along, they cut up my tut one, uh, and then, you know, I look at it afterwards and I see that it's in pieces and it's kind of sad. But once I'm able to get it more stable and I've been making some good progress in that, I will be testing tut one to see whether it likes add one type of rung to the ladder of uh, to U six or a different type of rung, and those rungs are just called bases. Okay. So there are there's four of them that get added into uh, RNA. There's A, U, G, and C. 
Tut1 likes to work with A's and it likes to work with U's, mm-hmm. but we don't know which one it likes to work with more. Okay. So we're going to be testing it to see which one it prefers. Now, are these these letters, I mean, they sound very similar to the the DNA letters. Yeah. That's, but it has a U. So basically the only difference is that in is DNA, yeah, we have a T instead of a U. And the U is very similar looking to the T, U is in the RNA, um, minus some very small differences. But by and large, they are quite similar. So you say that uh, Tut1 likes to use A's and U's. Yes. How are they different? Well, um, there are totally different uh, structures. So if you look at uh, one of them, you know, it'll have a single um, ring, essentially, of carbon molecules. And the other will have two rings of carbon molecules stuck together. So it's double. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Right. But why is it important to know which one it works with better? Curiosity is one. Okay. Just yeah. as, and then it's also because Tut1 is, uh, it's kind of unique in the sense that it has sort of two engines of putting, up, like two motors basically that allow it to put these A's and U's onto different RNA strands. Mm-hmm. So we want to see how these interact with each other, why it has two in the first place, why it doesn't simply have one and then use that one engine for both A's and U's. What what's the mechanism there? Why is it favoring one over the other, if it is favoring any at all? Which I'd imagine it must. It must like one more than the other, but it's trying to figure that out and see how that plays in the grand scheme of things in terms of an interaction with the U6 and with other RNAs and how that affects the cell. So so in, in terms of these, uh, of the grander scheme of things, um, are there any sort of problems, disorders, or difficulties related to... Um, sort of the things Tut1 is trying to help prevent. Like if you didn't have it, what would happen to you? Oh, if you didn't have it, um, your splicing or cutting up the uh, long RNA strands is going to be really difficult for you. Mm -hmm. You um, You're going to have far less proper uh, expression of your genes, and that's going to mean a lot of problems uh, in all levels of your existence. Uh, Your physiology is going to be totally messed up. Um, Doesn't sound very good at all. No. Um, you know, and at the very least, you'll get cancer, unfortunately, because um, Tut1, it works with the U6, but it also works with other RNAs that will go on to make these proteins that fight cancer. So it basically protects these RNAs, make sure they don't fall apart, so they be- can become these cancer-fighting proteins if you so, don't have that. So that's, that's for you. very big news to me. So that you have something in your body that does fight off uh, cancer, yeah. like you produce it yourself. So uh, Tut1 seems to be the hero of the cell. I don't know if anyone else is feeling it that way, but. Well, maybe not so cursed after all. <laughs> all, all hail the king, right? Yeah, nice. right. Totally. Nice. Yeah. So um, I remember reading, you were saying something about um, how different stress can, can change how your cell works. Is that, how does that influence with Tut1? Okay, so um, the different stresses, uh, big stresses that Tut1 works with are damages to DNA. Mm-hmm. So whenever you have something you know very traumatic happen to the cell, it can really mess up the DNA sequence, and then all the genetic information that the DNA contains will be messed up. So, so this, this is a problem in your blueprints, yes. as they call the DNA. Exactly. Well, what does cellular sort of trauma look like? Um, is Does it have a you know, bad childhood or something <laughs> like that. 
lots of scars no okay <laughs> there is a uh, oxidative stress okay it's one of the big ones so oxygen of course we need it all, we all need it to live but it can also do some pretty bad damage anybody who has a rusty car knows that ah. but it can do the same sort of thing to the dna and Ooh. that will cause problems within the structure of the dna and so the protein product that you get from it doesn't work or doesn't work well and that's the basis of cancer not just oxidative stress mm -hmm. but just dna damage in general is when you get these uh, really bad mutations in your DNA that cause terrible proteins that make the cell uh, immortal, essentially. It won't die because of these very bad mutations, but because uh -huh. of that, it takes over your body, and that's the that's the basis of cancer. It's caused by hereditary um, passing on of bad genes from mm -hmm. mutation. But TUT1 will work to ensure that the proteins that stop these mutations from being passed on through the generations uh, will go on and be stable and then kill the cell before that can happen. Sounds sounds dramatic, but it's necessary. So you're saying TUT1 can also contribute to killing cells, like cell death? Yeah. Well, I, yeah? It, it, it starts the process. Okay. It, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not the guy actually, you know, doing the job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, it's definitely uh, giving the guy the payment to do it, no. <laughs> right. So perhaps the judge that sentences the cell to go on to death row. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And, and so this is a mechanism through which your, your body can sort of um, control cancer cells before they run out of control? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's called apoptosis? Apoptosis. 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 Ha! Yeah. Oh, I remember a, that. Yeah, cell pops. Mnemonic. Yeah. So well, <laughs> basically what happens is there's this one, pro, uh, this one protein. It's called BIK. B-I-K. Mm -hmm. And the B-I-K will start apoptosis in uh, various organs within inside of the cell. Um, but the only way that you can get BIK is if you have the RNA strand for it with the instructions to make it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that RNA strand is very vulnerable to those nucleases, and if BIK strand is destroyed, you don't have any BIK protein, and your cell is not gonna be able to you know, commit cell suicide to prevent these cancerous genes from proliferating, right? So what TOT1 does is it comes along to the BIK RNA, it says, okay, I'm going to add on a whole bunch of uh, rungs to the end of you. And in this case, they're A rungs, not you, not you rungs. So add on all of these rungs, and then the strain is stable. It's protected from the nucleases. And that allows it to be turned into protein by the workers. And then with that protein, your cell will not survive, which in this case is a great thing. <laughs> so TUT1, to summarize, TUT1 does good things, whether it's helping things or just ending things if need yeah, be. Of course. It's very important protein. So like a manager in your cellular factory, making sure everything is working properly and sort of according to schedule. Of course. Yeah. And Neat. then, you know, they have to kill the project. You have to kill the project. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If it's not working out, you just got to end it, right? So um, we're heading towards the end of the show here, but this has been great and uh, really informative. I always found it very hard to... Uh, learned about things that had acronyms like TUT1, but now I really like it. I think I'm going to name a goldfish TUT1. TUT1? Yeah, it's going to be a big goldfish. But um, A goldfish with hands? Oh. Yeah. Wouldn't that be no, creepy? it would be creepy. <laughs> now, is now is it I'm, as bad as bird with, birds with arms? I love that meme. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, I'm sure a lot of people um, who are listening in wonder, you know, grad school, how did people get involved? How did you get involved in this project and to do a master's in this? Okay, well, uh, in third year, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted. I was thinking, you know, med school, whatever, but I also was really interested in research. And uh, an opportunity came up. There was a course in third year that uh, let me start working in Dr. Heinemann's lab. Just a mini project. I was working with another protein called Tut7. So it's like in the oh, same. Oh, there's more. Oh, there's, 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 there are many Tuts. They all oh. do similar things, but with mm-hmm. different uh, RNAs for different effects. But So I was working with that protein, and that was in second semester, third year. And then I did my fourth year thesis in, that summer uh, in Dr. Heinemann's lab and just continued my work uh, in her lab all year and in, during the summer working so, on with Tut1, though. So it's been kind of a fortuitous event that you uh, got in contact with Dr. Heinemann. Yeah, no, she's great. And uh, her husband, Dr. Donahue, is also uh, co-supervising in a way. We share a lot of th- resources in our lab, a lot of great people in that lab. So on, on campus, we have a lot of biology-type buildings, biochemistry-type buildings. Where, where are you on campus? We're in the uh, medical sciences building. So it's the building next to the bio- molecular biology lab, which is like a lot of the biochemistry labs. It's also uh, the building that's shared with a lot of the med school students for their classrooms. That's great. It's good that you know something came along that really triggered that passion for you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have any future plans to continue on in research? Well, potentially, you know, um, maybe pursuing a doctorate after my master's mm-hmm. would be really exciting. Uh, whether it's with Tut One, I'm not sure. Whether right. kind of moving on to. <laughs> but there's so many Tuts to work oh, on. Well, there's right? a lot of Tuts. It's pretty <laughs> cool, but you know that I might have to look to some other you know ancient kings and stuff, but like. I don't know, it'd be kind of exciting, whatever it is. Biochemistry is definitely up my alley. It's what I'm most familiar with. So pursuing something with that would be ideal, but I never say no to a good opportunity, right? So we'll see. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know a lot of people out there um, are curious about what you do or other people interested in um, grad school or biochemistry at all. Um, Do you have any online presence that they can reach you at to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, Facebook, but uh, Mitch Mann. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My email, though, is uh, mman52 at uw.ca if you want to contact me with that. Um, you can also look at uh, Dr. Oka Heinemann's website, uh, the Heinemann Lab, uh, .ca, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm on Twitter, I guess, but I don't really tweet. My Twitter's kind of boring, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. awesome. Well, um, thank you so much, Mitch Mann, for uh, joining us. And it was great talking to you about Taiwan. This has been Susan Anthony and Yemin Chan. Uh, we are GradCast, and this is the GradCast is an, uh, the official podcast and radio show of, of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western. We are on air every Tuesday, 6 p.m. on CHRW, and uh, you can find us online at GradCast, or GradCast.ca now. Wow, I almost forgot that one. GradCast.ca, you, you can uh, stream all of our podcasts. Uh, as well as subscribe to our podcast. So it just uploads directly to your phone, as we do here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, drop us a line at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks so much. <laughs>